0: Amen. Thank you, guys. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, it was hey, awesome.
0: Ted, we're here. We did it.
1: We got it. Um, <clears throat> before we start, may I tell you a few things about this room, please? When the church first moved here, which was in January of 1984, we, this was our first permanent place. We'd been in a temporary building over on Camp Bowie. And uh, just singing in the room is, brings so many memories Back to my heart, uh, I baptized my children up there, both of them, both Cassie and Tyler. I preached 1,250 different messages standing right there. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. Uh, well, two or three of them are pretty good. And then, uh, <laughs> no, seriously, they were. One time, <laughs> one time I was preaching, being uh, behind this pulpit right here, and uh, the sound system wasn't very good in those days, and, uh, and uh, not like they are these days. And I don't know how this happened. I don't, we don't know this to this day, but I'm really getting with it. Uh-huh. And I'm coming to a crescendo in this text. I don't remember what it was. And suddenly, over the loudspeaker, a truck driver... Began to say, <laughs> uh, Breaker, Breaker, 1 9. Uh, I'm turning off the. Through the yeah, system. Through the <laughs> system, yeah. And this big truck was going down I 30 right here, and he came over our loud system. And so it just, and of course, it's a better sermon than I'd been preaching because he just kept talking, and pretty soon, yeah. uh, we kept hearing him. So that was a, just kind of a weird thing. And another weird <laughs> thing is, by the way, my office in those days was right up there in that corner. Uh, and uh, actually, Richard Schaefer's uh-huh. up there now. Where's Richard? It's a camera. six by six little box. And it's not air-conditioned. It's just right there in the corner. Actually, no. It, actually, it's a, it's a pretty good-sized office, and it is air-conditioned, but it's up there. And uh, it, it was always fun to, to, to be up there, but now that my office is over in the Link Building by the Perk, you know, I can now see on Sunday mornings the, the campus develop, people coming in, driving in, because up there, I had a window, but it looked out on a roof, and I mm-hmm. couldn't see anything, and now I've got this a great privilege uh, to do that. And one final thing. You Please. have one more money? moment? Because <clears throat> being in here reminds me of all these wonderful, fun things. Well, oh, actually, two things I want to say. We got hey, we got, okay. I mean, you got
0: as much time as you want. No,
1: actually, I don't. I don't. Uh, uh, because I want to get uh, the bachelorette's on tonight. I really <laughs> I know, I, I, I really want to. I'm going to sit down. Because I, and... t- I think Taryn is not good for him. And yeah. I think if she, she's not good for him. Uh, anyway, anyway. Good try. <laughs> there were pews in here, you guys. And we didn't have any money. Our church has always been cash only. I don't know if you knew this, but if you're new to our church, we, we do everything. We don't borrow money. Not Borrowing is not wrong. It's just something we decided in the beginning. If God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, he can sell a few. That's awesome. And so, uh, <laughs> and he has. He's sold a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, there were pews in here. And the, this building was built in 1954. And the pews were all sort of a... a Appealing varnish, kind of a yellow look after 50 years. Well, they were yellow, and they varnish all over. Me. And if you sat down in a pew for a worship experience, when you got up and left, you had varnish all over your back. Seriously. So we would go out to eat at restaurants after church because in those days we had one service. And somebody, if somebody said, I'd say to somebody, "Well, how, what did you think about the church today?" And they'd say, "Oh, it's a great sermon, preacher, great sermon." But then I'd see their back. And if they didn't have any varnish on them, I know they're lying yeah, to me. Right. That's how I did that. So somebody finally paid to remove those uh, pews, and we refinished them, and then the room began to take shape. We did everything in this room one piece at a time. For instance, the uh, tiles back here in the baptistry, those tiles were actually uh, glazed in kilns in Mexico. Uh, the same interior designer who designed all the furniture and everything inside the White House Ken Blassingame used to sit. He's a Fort Worthian. He used to sit right up there in the corner in the balcony. And he loathed the look of the the baptistry. So he came to me one day after church and said, if I completely redid the baptistry, would you allow me to do that? And I said, well, we don't have any money. And he said, well, I'll pay for it. So he went to Mexico himself, picked out all these uh, fine special tiles. Each of those are very expensive. And he hired an artisan to come in. And they laid those out. And you can see what they are. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. It's the cross in the center, and of course, the two thieves on both sides. And that, that came from a real prominent, uh, nationally known. Do you
0: know he went to Mexico, or did he just tell you that? He could have gone to Home Depot and oh, just. Oh, I said, thought about that. I went to Mexico. <laughs> Think about, pray about that. I'll pray. I just, I don't know. Pretty cynical spirit there, Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cynical seems, spirit. Seems like a long drive okay. to get tiles.
1: One, yeah, it was. Yeah, you're right. I don't know
0: why you would do that. I
1: didn't have thought about that, there's actually. plenty of tiles around here that are just as fine. Now you put doubt in my heart. But let me <laughs> tell you, let me tell you, let me put, tell you one other thing that happened. <clears throat> and this is a. No, tell the story about the sewage that overflowed and then in between services, you guys are cleaning up sewage downstairs. That's exactly true. It's true. Just below, just below us, there's a basement. And it was a fellowship hall for this church. And in the back room, there are huge sump pumps that pump the sewage out of the whole church. Now, the church at that time was this building and the building right next to us. And we didn't. There were houses, old house, houses. Some of them were actually drug houses. All the way to Montgomery. But nevertheless, on a Sunday, uh, sometimes the toilets would back up or the sewer would overflow. And I could be preaching away and suddenly... It just wafted up through the room. <laughs> and Everybody would go, whoa! Get this sermon over with. And so we'd pass out clothespins, and everybody just pin their nose.
0: From Mexico. Yeah, from Mexico. Mexico.
1: Yeah. So I had to go downstairs. I'd go downstairs, and I'd have to pull up the rod, and the pump would work, and it'd suck it all in out. In between
0: sermons. In like between, pushing.
1: actually, in between services, I did yeah. that several times because I was deacon and preacher and everything else. Going on. But one time, and we can chat just because I thought you guys would be interested in this. Today, uh, I'm not sure you know this, but the police believe that Christ Chapel is the safest place in Fort Worth to be on any given weekend. And they mean that. And the reason for that is because we have a lot of police officers, a whole lot of security. You haven't seen the cameras, but there are cameras all over the facility. Mm -hmm. It's because today the church has has become um, a target for a lot of difficult things. Well, way back before that was true... Uh, In fact, a lot of people carry today. I don't know if you know this too, but we have folks in the room who are volunteers, and they've trained just to watch what's going on. And the cameras watch people coming and going. Well, back years ago when that wasn't the case, we had two services in here. And the 930 service was over, and everything cleared out. And there wasn't even a deacon in here, just me. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in, and I'd never seen him before. And he walked right down the aisle, which is right here. This is the center of the room. And there was a table right here. And he took his ring off. And put it on the table. He took his wallet out, put it on the table, took his watch out, put it on the table. And then he walked over to each window and knocked on each window all the way around the room. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. And then he sat down on the back pew back there. <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, and I was the only one in the room and I'm thinking, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's come for me and it's this over. It, yeah. So I had the wherewithal. I just sat down next to him and I said, You know, my name's Ted, and he inter- I'm Jim. He said, No. And I said, Nice to meet you, Jim. Now, you know, at 11 o'clock, we, we're going to come in this room, and we're here to worship Jesus. And I just wondered, it, are you here for the same reason? Yeah. <laughs> and there was a long pause, and, he, and he, then he said, yes, I am. I said, okay. And I got up, and I came all the way down. I picked up his ring, his watch, his wallet, took it back to him, gave it to him. And I got up, and then I got, grabbed a deacon from outside, and I said, sit next to him during the service. Okay, so we have the service. Place fills up. We have the service. Service is over. I see the deacon. I totally forgot about this dude. And I said, uh, "What happened to the guy?" Who, and he said, "Oh, you didn't see that?" I said, "No, I did not see." it. Oh, yeah, halfway through your sermon, he just took out a cigarette, lit it up. <laughs> and he just smoking in the back of the church. back there. "Smoke away." <laughs> right. he, so he said to him, so he, he leaned over and said, "You know, sir, we typically don't smoke in church." <laughs> and the guy said, "Oh, okay." And he took another puff, and then he got up, walked out the back door, walked into the center of Birchman Avenue. And walked all the way down the center of Bertram Avenue turned right on Montgomery and disappeared I mean from our side just disappeared he might
0: have well,
1: just disappeared well maybe Yeah. maybe not from our side and I've never seen him since then Dang. so anyway I've had nightmares ever since then and, uh, yeah. I'm trying to get that off my conscience but yeah. anyway. anyway a lot of wonderful things yeah. have happened in this room <laughs> and that's a lot funny. of difficult things have happened in this room as well
0: yeah. yeah. okay so that's a good segue so Ted you've been here for how long? Yeah, that's not a good segue, but I'm
1: just distorting yeah. this. Yeah.
0: How long have you been, you know?
1: My wife is here, by the way. I Where know, is she? yeah. Yeah, uh, back over here. Ladies and gentlemen, Lynn that. Kitchens. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Your wife's awesome. Yeah.
1: You know, she worships the very ground. You know, she loves me. Uh, and she, she, worships very, with the Holy Spirit. she worships the very ground that my father struck oil on. And so, anyway, I've
0: used that joke for years. Sure she hates has. that joke.
1: I'm sure she does. She hates that joke. Okay, now, Oh, but th- how old were you when you... Married her? Yeah, when you first met her? met her, yeah. She was 19. I was 26, 25 or 6.
0: Nice. So, that's a tip, right?
1: She worshipped the very ground that my father struck oil. <laughs> there's no other reason to marry me, but I'm rich. Uh, actually, she had braces on. We, she took her braces only two weeks before we got married.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah, she did. yeah.
1: Now, what do you mean? What do you mean by that?
0: <laughs> I just, I'm just trying to encourage you. What do you mean that, by nice? Okay. Uh, just, that's great.
1: Somehow, I don't believe that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> I've been here 37. Lynn and I have been here 37 years. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, we came nine months after the church was formed. It was a Bible study of, of wonderful people who. Felt like there was a place for a, a good Bible church on the west side of Fort Worth, another good one. And so they formed in a, on a home and then grew a little bit and grew to 60 or 70 people and rented a facility over on Camp Bowie. And it grew a little bit more and they realized they needed a full time pastor. So the process began and Lynn and I came and we, we've been here since the church was nine months old. Wow. The only full time pastor that, that the church has had, senior pastor. Mm-hmm. For 37 years, so it's... Uh, how, how did
0: it go from, it used to, literally, Christ Chapel used to be this room, uh-huh. and it, didn't it used to be if you walk out those doors, you were outside, Yeah or was there...
1: Yeah, these side doors here were not doors, they were actually windows, and so uh, if you went through those doors now, you step into the atrium, you know where the coffee shop's going to be in a while, yeah. you're, outside. you're wow. outside. The atrium and all that, we added on. So
0: and, how did it go from this was the church to what is now, I mean, there were 12,000 people here on Easter... It's yeah. got to be the largest church in Fort Worth, or at least one of the largest churches in Fort Worth.
1: You know, I don't what know. What happened? <laughs> well, bingo. We play bingo every Sunday <laughs> after, ch- after church.
0: You know what it was? The Mexican tiles. That's, That's what That's a it is. Mexican
1: tile. People were like, the we tiles at that church. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got a thing about these Mexican tiles. I, <laughs> I, I should have brought those I don't up.
0: understand. I don't even like the tiles. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're coming back. They're oh, retro uh, yeah, now. They're, yeah, they're retro. I right. love them. I love, I, love well, I love the tiles. A few
1: years ago. I love them. Um, but how did it grow?
0: How, I mean, how did this church did get to church where it grow? is? I mean, thousands yeah. of people, it's ministry. You've, seen, you've yeah. seen thousands of people come to the Lord, I have, walk yeah. with people. What, how did this happen?
1: You know, we had, uh, I've had since the very beginning, uh, the realization that uh, there are, God's given me a few gifts but the basic thing that he's given me is tenacity and a um, hardened commitment to just teaching the Bible. In fact, from the very if you would have come to our church years ago and asked who's Ted Kitchens, they would say to you, "He is a Monday morning preacher." I said that repeatedly from the pulpit that I personally believe if the gospel doesn't work on Monday morning, it does not work. Hmm. Period. So I just preach the Bible. What does the Bible say? Not what culture says, not what I actually thought. So sometimes I I mean I'm learning always from the scriptures as well. I just said, this is thus saith the Lord. What the Bible says, God says. What God says, the Bible says. I totally believe that. And actually, in fact, I told you, it was another staff that a Gallup poll came out yesterday that showed that a large number, actually a huge number of the of the evangelicals, Christians in our country, they go to church. You know why they go to church? Not for the wonderful contemporary worship music that we have. Not for the visuals, not for the buildings, for the teaching of the Bible. It's the number one reason people attend church in the country. And 50 churches a week close in America. And if you were to do a survey of those 50 churches, you would find without exception, they're no longer teaching the Bible. They begin to believe that if they just love the neighborhood and say, whatever you need, we'll teach it, we'll preach it, we're here for you. Uh, they would say that was our demise, that was the destruction, because mm-hmm. the, what the culture needs to hear is truth. If you don't believe it's the truth, uh, uh, then, then why are you in this business? Because mm-hmm. it's the truth. So I would say we taught the scriptures, we loved each other, we had fun together, just like you and I have been. We didn't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. We called ourselves a church without walls, which meant we believed in going into the community and making a difference in the city and we tried to do that b- to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And people just started coming, and they just started coming. And uh, we filled up this room once, and then we filled it up twice, and then we filled it up four times. And then we had two overflow rooms, and this room full four times every Sunday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: And that's when it just started. That was when, yeah. we need a children's ministry wing. We
1: need a- yeah. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to build a new, you know, the sanctuary we have now, which is a pretty big building, an ominous building, when people pull up to it. By the way, the reason we built the building to look like a church, like it does, is because we are at the entrance to the arts district in the city of Fort Worth. We could have built a large barn kind of building. you know. We could have. No, A lot of churches do, and, and rightly so. Multipurpose. They, they do the right thing. I'm not, not critical of that at all. But we chose to, to see if God would provide the extra money to build a building like that. So when you turn off of I-30 onto Montgomery, you'd say, Look at that church, that building won the Architectural Digest Award of the Year in in 2006, mm-hmm. and we didn't even know it was in the running, and it <laughs> won it. And the reason, in the city, our city council loves that building because it's a church, and it says this is a church, yeah. and architecturally it fits with all. Of, I mean, we have we have in the top ten um, <clears throat> most desirous museums in the country just down the street. Mm-hmm. From us, and so we wanted to be a part of that.
0: That's neat. I think, and we'll get to. It, I think a lot of the decisions this church has made, and the elders have made, is really to try to bless the neighborhood, looking through the lens of how can this be a blessing, not an eyesore. How can we, you know, go the extra mile? It's, it's why we have spent extra money to buy grass parking lots instead of filling up concrete parking lots that's out right. here because that's right. We want to be a blessing to our neighbor. We want our neighbor to be like ah. Oh, You know, they a much of concrete. More concrete, yeah. And those parking lots are beating, because every time it rains, you can't use them. You can't use them. And it rains a lot, so in April, at least. Yeah,
1: believe me. And if you wear heels, like I do, they they sink down in the mud. Oh, not again. Okay, well, tell us,
0: uh, we're going to jump into these Church and Revelation, but before that, tell us what, how, did you come out of the womb sanctified? Were you saved instantly, like when you were born? I
1: was. I I glowed. I was glowing. Yeah. An angel came and spoke to your mom? No. Neither my mother or my father were Christians until the latter part of their life. My dad was 65 before he came to Christ. And my mom was probably not much younger than that. Uh, I was 16 when I came to Christ. My family busted up when I was 13 years old. My siblings went with my mother, and they lived outside of Lubbock. My father stayed here, and the court said you could stay with whichever one you wish. And uh, I chose my father. So my father and I lived together through my high, last part of my high school years. He had his own business. He was a machinist and had a big shop. You know, with, makes noise and oil and gas and everything everywhere. It's wonderful. And so I worked with my father and I went to school, high school. And, uh, and one uh, one summer, one August, in the high school in the hallway, I, my best friend at the time he wasn't my best friend actually I despised him. His <laughs> name was uh, Bruce Casburn. Bruce walked up to me with a Bible in his pocket. He said, do you know Jesus? And I thought, I better tell him yes. (laughs) So I said, yeah. yeah, sure I do. Everybody does, don't they? He lives just down the street. Uh, (laughs) uh, And and, and Anyway, it began a process where God took hold of my heart. And uh, I said yes to Christ in November of my uh, junior year of high school. Sophomore year of high school, excuse me. So I lived at my junior and senior year of high school. Uh, walking with Christ, and he was active in a church. Now, remember, I've, a, I've got a broken family, mm-hmm. so my mom's uh, 350 miles away. My dad, I'm living with him, but he works 70 hours a week. I hardly ever saw him. I don't know where I would have been. I was actually a pretty nice guy in high school as I look back on it, mm-hmm. but I still could have done some really, really bad things. Yeah. And, I, and I probably still did as a sinner, of course, but the bottom line was I had a peer group that loved me. And let me tell you this is the truth. Every Sunday morning... I woke up super excited to mm. go to church. Wow. It, was, it was just a, it was a feeling like um, in those early days, I was in love with, with Jesus. Yeah. And so go to church, all these people loved me, loved me for who I was at 17, 18, 19 years old. And the, the church became my family, just almost literally. Mm-hmm. And it was those were sweet years of my life. And so I kind of went on from there.
0: Yeah. And you went and got a degree, accounting degree, is that
1: right? Yeah, I have a BBA in accounting. And I, then you went to seminary Correct. Yeah, it was in my college years that I got involved with Young Life Campaign. I was active at the church, and really active at the church, and loved it. And I got involved with Young Life Campaign, and I was so impressed by the teachings of the, the men and women in Young Life. Mm-hmm. I, and I used to ask them, where did you go to school? Man, where did you? That's in the Bible? Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they said, always said, the seminaries locally, we have two of the best seminaries in the world, right here in Fort Worth, and also in Dallas. And so I ended up. I really felt called of God. It's so a long story how that all happened, but sure. the very first I, time I opened and taught the Bible, I sat on a stool and I had 125 high school students in front of me, and I had no idea what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. And I opened to the Book of John, and because uh, you knew where that was. That's right. I, I actually had marked it. I'd marked it with a piece of paper, <laughs> and so I opened to it and began to say things, and I began to feel God's good pleasure on me. Not that I was talking to kids, and, I, and not a, it wasn't one of those look at me moments. Right. You you know what I'm talking about, and I just thought, this is I feel the pleasure of God something's flowing through me, and uh, that began the process.
0: That's incredible. I wanted to
1: go to school seminary to learn the Bible, mm-hmm.
0: and you got a degree from Southwestern and DTS. I did. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, you are um, you are an expert then here, in, and and uh, and so what I wanted to do tonight and the remaining of our time is to jump into really just using the seven churches that we've walked through for the last eight weeks yeah. as kind of a springboard for conversation uh, yeah. for us, and, and we talked about it a little bit before uh, tonight. We've we've seen these seven churches, and for those of you guys who this is your first time, uh, in Revelation, there's two chapters where Jesus prophesies over these seven geographical churches that were there, and gives them a word, and, and kind of explains to them these blind spots in them, and then also calls them out, and calls them to repentance, and calls them to change. And so... Uh, so we, we're not going to necessarily get to all of them, and we'll jump around. I, and what I really want to do is just want to hear um, just some, uh, some thoughts as we get into some of them, what you've seen in your life.
1: Yeah, but let, let me remind everyone, it, some of you may not have been through any of these talks that mm-hmm. you gave, but in those first three chapters of the book of the Revelation, which, by the way, is still one of the most popular, cha- uh, most popular books in all the Bible, is the book of the Revelation. Mm-hmm. It's not Revelations, it's Revelation. The one, the revelation that God, that Jesus gave to John, who wrote the Gospel of John, mm-hmm. the first three chapters were seven real churches in real time, probably about 80, 80 A.D. to ninety-five A.D. Right in there, uh, they really existed. These churches: uh, Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis. They, and chapter four, verse one opens up with the vision of the future of our world, mm-hmm. the revelation. And I believe that not only were those seven churches real in time, but the nature of those seven churches is actually how how we're going to see the church throughout history hmm. and into the very end. Hmm. So it's a the book is a revelatory book. It's a, a book about it's a prophetic book, the Book of Revelation, about prophecy. But it, part of the prophecies come through what you see in those churches in those days. So That's I hope that helps some.
0: Yeah, it does. The first one was Ephesus. The first of
1: the seven was Ephesus.
0: Uh, To to summarize it, to review for those guys who are here, uh, the idea was this church had done a lot of great things for Jesus, but the big thing that Jesus had against them was they had lost their first love, and Jesus really commands them to repent and love him most and put him first. So I think for all of these, the question I'm going to ask you and and for you guys to, to hear is, how have you seen that play out? This idea of doing all these great things but losing sight of your first love, how have you seen that play out either in the church or in people around you, or in your own Mm -hmm. life, and then what kind of wisdom or encouragement do you have for us to protect against that?
1: Yeah, he says, he criticizes the church and says, but these good things you've done, good works you've done, but you've lost your first love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I've experienced that firsthand. Actually, throughout the 37 years I've been here in sort of a roller coaster style, uh, there's so many demands on a pastor. And there's so, if, whatever you do for a living, there's so many demands on you, too. Not comparing me or Ben or any of our pastors or staff members to you. To you. But if, if you're a senior pastor of a church, the expectations are up here. Your gifts are down here. You can't, you know, you're not near as uh, brilliant as people think you are. And uh, if you have a heart for the church, you'll work yourself pretty much to death. And the key in that church, Ephesus, was first love. Our first love is Jesus. Remember, I told you I got up every Sunday morning when I first came to Christ, and I could not wait to get to church, and I'm not exaggerating. It was just, I felt like there, God was there, and I just, I loved every bit of it. Well, up in that office up there that I mentioned earlier, uh, I saw the church grow, the needs grew, people came here damaged and hurt, depressed, discouraged, broke, broken marriages, and I preached every Sunday. Um, one, one year when I, I started the 5 o'clock worship service. Some of you know, you may have been at, uh, down in the main sanctuary. Uh, those years I preached um, four services, 8, 15, 9, 30, 11, and 5 o'clock for five consecutive years. And I had almost no help. In that period of time, I lost my first love. Mm. Meaning, you say, well, your first love was the church. But that's not what... That's not what Ephesus is about. Mm-mm. You've lost your first love. And who's your first love? It has to be Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. It's just like getting married. Uh, when Lynn and I got married, I know many of you probably aren't married yet, but God has something for you. I've got a lot of advice on that someday, by the way. But when I met Lynn and we got married and we couldn't talk enough, we couldn't say enough to each other, there's conversations and uh, we, we talked, we listened, we loved each other, we cared for each other. And then we get busy in life and... You build a family and a home, and, and mm-hmm. suddenly you're just. And that same thing happens in the church, and it happens to pastors. You lose your first love. Mm-hmm. So you ask the question yeah. how do you get it back? How do you keep it? Mm-hmm. Well, just like you do with a, a re- human relationship. Same, exact same thing. That's the, the point, that's the parallel. You've lost your first love was your Savior, or your first love was your husband or your wife. You stop, you carve out time. You listen, you, you talk, and you, as I said, you talk and you listen. I journal um, the reason the old church, ancient church fathers wrote so many journals is because they had the same issue. They would lose their first love in the milieu of daily ministry and mm-hmm. routine. What
0: does a quiet time look like for you? What, is, what does spending time with Jesus look like?:
1: OK. cup of coffee. because uh, <laughs> Jesus loved coffee. <laughs> Here, here, have a sip, Jesus.
0: Yeah, I'm
1: not sure. Uh, maybe you're, right, maybe you're <laughs> right. Well, it couldn't be wine that early in the morning. No. Well, yeah, well maybe so. Maybe for you, a mimosa, maybe. Mimosa, uh, maybe. Mimosa, yeah. yeah if that's a add good.
0: Sprite to wine, oh, it's that's a good idea. I, mean, yeah.
1: oh, I did not thought about that. I'll try it. Think about it. <laughs> God, how do you guys put up with this? <laughs> and, you know, here's the tragedy. We pay for this. I know. He actually gets a paycheck for doing this awesome bad oh. for me a quiet time i journal i write out my prayers i don't know about you but when i pray my my, my mind goes with the circus yes you know i think about this I go, oh yeah what about that pretty sure i'm up and i'm out back fixing the sprinkler system <laughs> but i was praying seriously yeah so i journal lord i and i, I journal i read uh, i read the old testament new testament just about every day the psalms i write out my prayers and then i stop and i pray and i meditate sometimes on my knees Uh, Often, Lynn and I pray together this morning. We prayed together uh, before we both got up and got going for the day. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have to carve out time. Mm -hmm. If you're in love with someone, you know what you do, first thing, is you carve out time. Why? Because it's important to you. And it's absolutely the same thing. And that's what he's In Ephesus, they were doing good works, but not loving Jesus, not stopping, connecting. By the way, in John chapter 15, and John wrote this as well. Uh, one of my favorite passages, 15, 1 through 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. You can do nothing unless you abide in me. And that's what, I know that to be true. Yeah. You, uh, you, can do, you can set up chairs, you can uh, fix curtains, you can put you know, Mexican tiles. Debatable. But you can't do anything of real spiritual depth and fruit apart from Christ. So Amen. I'd say get, to get back in love, if you're not in love with Jesus, if you're a Christian, Tonight, and you're not in love with Christ. I get that, and I have been there. Mm. You get so fearful. You get going on straight down the road so fast. You have goals and all these things you want to accomplish, and then all of a sudden you look up, and you're 45, and you've lost your first love. Mm. Come on back.
0: That's awesome, Ted. Thank you. Come on back. Um, Smyrna and Philadelphia. I'm going to skip and I'm going to circle back around. So the yeah. second church and the second church. Because
1: he only said good things about they're, those. They're
0: children. in good shape. But I want us to land on that because okay. have something specific I want to talk about. Sure. So Pergamum. Sure. Pergamum is a church that compromised truth, right? Mm-hmm. They'd compromised truth. They'd let in sin. Jesus shows up to him and says, purge yourself, your false teachers, or I'm going to clean you myself. Mm-hmm. What uh, What have you seen in that? How do you connect that to to the ministry you've walked in, and then how do we protect against
1: that? The challenge to the church at Pergamum was to call out people who are in open sin.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Call out brothers and sisters, not people who are not Christians, but brothers and sisters who are in open sin. Challenge them, confront them lovingly. Speak the truth in love. And that's a very important part of the church. In fact, I'm studying on the Reformation right now. I'm going to do a series of, of... Sermons on the Reformation. The Reformation happened exactly 500 years ago this year, 1517, Martin Luther. Um, And one thing that one of the Reformers says is there's three signs of a real, authentic New Testament church. First, preaching of of the Scriptures. Preach the Bible. Second, ordinances, which means communion and baptism. Third, church discipline. And that's one that probably most everyone in the room doesn't think much about, maybe never even heard of. Basically, church discipline is where brothers and sisters in Christ hold each other accountable. That's really what it is. <clears throat> Way back in the early days, uh, there was a part-time pastor who worked for our church, and he was a dear friend. And, uh, and I, This is to my chagrin. This happened. He uh, got in a little financial trouble, and he didn't tell anybody. And So he started buying used cars and selling them out in front of the church, right out here, on the street, on Barchman. He'd, he'd put them in the paper, and people would come by and look at them. He'd sell them and make 100 bucks, 200 bucks like that. And I bring this up only to let you know that that really wasn't the right thing to be doing for... Um, selling cars is a good thing, but he, he was called to be here and to minister here and to get his livelihood from this fellowship. He was on our staff. And I never called him to task. I have known over the years men and women who were immoral, openly immoral, uh, gladly immoral, and I never called them to task. I, we we actually do that here, um, graciously, kindly, but we... And I would challenge you that that's what the problem was. There. Yeah. And that's what I think each of you, if you're in Christ, if you're not a Christian, then this doesn't relate to you. But if you're in Christ, you, we're, if we're a community, we're really a spiritual family. When you see someone lying, not telling truth... Doing something, you know, you know when it surfaces clearly, you see them do it over and over again. You, 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 in fact, Jesus tells us how to do it. In Matthew chapter 19, he says, you go to him one-on-one and just say, I just saw something. Was it what I thought I saw? No, no. okay, it wasn't. Praise God, I've won my brother or my sister. If, it, if they refuse to hear you, then you go back with another. And if they refuse to hear you then, then the church actually, and I think that means the leadership, uh, actually approaches them and says, "We want, we want your good health. We want the best for you in Christ, and you're not experiencing the best for you in Christ. So please repent, stop, change your ways." And yeah. our church does that. It's hard to do. I think even in this culture too,
0: Ted, our culture we're seeing it. It is less and less assumed that we're going to live, you know, Christian values in our culture. In fact, I would say the opposite is true. Uh, you know, I would say. I'm certainly living in a culture, and and I think about our two sons that we're going to raise, living in a culture where it's assumed that you're going, you know, for example, it's just assumed that, you know, you're going to cohabitate before you get married at this Mm -hmm. point in our culture. You're going to, a lot of things that we would say, man, that's not life-giving. That's not God's way. Uh, Our culture isn't, and it's it's heading down that slippery slope more and more. What wisdom advice do you have for us who are living in an increasingly more uh, wicked culture?
1: Well, my first advice was no matter what you feel or what you see around you, um, God's word is always right. Listen to me. Trust me. After 40 years of doing this, I have seen so many people wreck their lives believing that their hormones, their emotions are what's right rather than what God says. There's a reason that he says these things. when you approach someone who's in Christ, you tell them, you know, what, what you're doing is you're profaning the name of Christ. You are bringing a bad reputation to Jesus in your lifestyle. If you're approaching someone who's not a Christian, and then what you want to do is say to them, you know, you're really hurting yourself. You're destroying yourself. Yeah. In fact, just last week, I had a gentleman who had been sleeping around quite a bit with some gals. And I said to him... Now, what's going to happen whenever one of those girls gets married? She falls in love and she marries, and she has to tell her husband that she has not been totally faithful to him. And you have actually stolen from her something that belonged to him. He sat back in his chair and he looked at me and said, I've never once in my life thought about that. Um, The right way to do these things is God's way, even though it's painful, Mm -hmm. it's difficult. Uh, I know that it can be done because I did it. My wife knows it's going to be done because she did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've been blessed over and over because of that. It's difficult. It's necessary. It, you, will, you will prosper from it. If you've already failed in that area, what you do is you shake that off. You ask for forgiveness. You move on as though you had never participated in that. Mm-hmm. And you ask for God's best. That's the wonderful thing about repentance. Yeah,
0: say that again. I mean, that's so good. Because I, I think so often we walk around with misplaced guilt and shame that we haven't been able to forgive ourselves for past sin. Yeah,
1: I can see that. My favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 8.1. Paul says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means nothing you've ever done will ever condemn you before God. If you're in Christ. If you're in Christ. If you're in Jesus. Now, there may be some scars on you and some emotional things that you have to deal with in this life because of your sin. Mm-hmm. Well repentance and just stop and say, okay, before Christ now, I am, I'm recalibrating my life and I'm moving forward as though I, all those things were in the past. And that's how you live your life. You don't walk around with that guilt. There's no condemnation for you in Christ. That's so good. Uh, it's a struggle, but that's what you do. And in this world, which by the way, is highly sexualized, uh, it's, it's a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just because you get married doesn't change All of that temptation, Mm -hmm. all the difficult things. Mm -hmm. Most people think it does. It really doesn't. All your life, those will be issues you'll have to take a hold of for Christ's sake, manage them, and move forward. That's
0: awesome. Thyatira.
1: Thyatira Thyatira. is
0: this church. They tolerated sin and lies. Jesus really calls them out and says, you need to stop tolerating. There's this level of compromise that happens there. What what do you see there? What do you have for
1: us? Well, when I think of Thyatira, and I made a note on Thyatira here, I think about... um, False teaching, not, untruth, things that are not truth. With, you may know the word cults where there's bizarre teachings. Uh, it was a church that allowed false teachings to come into it, and false teachings dismantle everything, they destroy. In fact, it was in this room, in this very room, on a Sunday night, maybe 15 years ago, we just started the Sunday night, 5 o'clock service. I've, I was in the book of Romans. Paul's really strong in the book of Romans. If you've never read Romans, you should read it. So I preached a sermon on Romans. I think it was five. Everything's over. People are leaving. And this young man, they, maybe 22, 3, 4, he comes walking right down the aisle right here. And he's just bawling. I mean, I, just weeping. He had a hat on. Just weeping, weeping, weeping. And I came up to him and said, brother, I, I, what's wrong? And he said, you know, I just graduated from a seminary in Fort Worth. It, wasn't, it was not Southwestern Seminary. I just graduated, and they took away from me everything I've ever believed about the Bible. And tonight, your teaching from the book of Romans re-inspired me that God can be trusted and His words Mm -hmm, true. mm -hmm. Okay. Why do I bring that up? Well, because the churches today, I mentioned earlier, 50 a week are dying in the country. Why? They're refusing to believe, thus saith the Lord. They believe, well, compromising with the culture believing what I think's best rather than what God says, and teaching false things will, will draw people in. You, you, you guys cannot imagine how many churches in the country today really believe that if we'll just be open to every, tolerate every kind of a sin principle or this attitude or immoral thoughts or things that I won't bring up, that, that people will flock to the church and the church will become a place where you can love them in the name of God. It absolutely is not working. Those churches are dying 50 a week in America. False teaching will destroy a church. So if I don't know what the scriptures is saying there, I'll just have to say I'm not sure. Yeah. But to teach something other than what the Bible teaches will destroy the church and it will destroy you as well. It would be better for you if you said, I do not believe any of the scriptures than to contaminate parts of it. Just because it fits your lifestyle mm. or what you want to believe, that's, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, Sardis, we're going to skip through because we're yeah. going to come back to to Philadelphia and Smyrna too. But Sardis, I think you also touched on with uh, with just the 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 importance to build your life on that foundation of the gospel. You know, and, and Sardis was this church that had... He said Sardis was a, dead,
1: was a dead church. You're mm-hmm. dead.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and you had really talked about how important it is to stay rooted in that. Yeah. But I, I want to skip down to Laodicea because I don't okay. want to miss that one. Okay. Um, they had become self-righteous. Uh, they didn't really believe they needed Christ. Right, uh, And then there was this idea of repenting from that complacency, that self-sufficiency, uh, or, or Jesus was going to discipline them.
1: When I think of Sardis, the last one, I think of uh, your identity. Who are you? You may not be aware of this, but every church in the city, and there are a thousand churches in the city, literally, big and small, they all have an identity. They have something that God has made them. They're like an individual, a person. They have a personality. They have a DNA. They uh, form a culture as they come together. small group or large church, it doesn't matter. Well, the problem with Sardis, as I understand the scriptures there in that chapter, is they'd lost their identity. Their identity needed to be rooted in who Jesus is and what he's all about rather than, um, say, the social gospel. Uh, churches today, some of them, believe in the social gospel. That is, let's help people. Let's put coats on children in the wintertime. That's a good thing. Don't misunderstand me. Let's do things socially to help. Let's feed the poor and needy. Let's do this. Jesus would say, do all that. But they don't care about the gospel. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the, the, the truth of the gospel. In fact, I think I mentioned this to you. We had a couple attending our church a couple years ago who loved our church. They came from another church in the city, loved this church, and wanted to meet us, Lynn and me. So we went with them. And I think Lynn was with me. And they said, we love everything you do except, you know, we don't, we don't totally agree with uh, the resurrection. And it was just like, suck the oxygen out of the air. Folks, all we have is the resurrection. If there wasn't a resurrection, then we're just wasting our time tonight. Seriously, we are. Okay. So what's my my point there is? um, uh, What was my
0: point there? That foundation.
1: (laughs) The foundation, your identity. We believe the gospel. I have an identity. I'm a Monday morning preacher. Mm -hmm. That's all I am. Uh, I'm... That's all I have. I don't have anything to offer. And our church has an identity, and you have an identity. Now, as a young adult, I would encourage you with all your heart to find out who you are. Your personality, understand it. Uh, Your gifts, who are you? What are you really good at? What are you not so good at? God's made each of us different. We're like snowflakes, literally, all so totally different. If you don't know what your shape is, spiritual shape, Every one of you, if you're in Christ tonight, you have the Spirit of God in you for a purpose to serve this world, the kingdom of Jesus, uh, the kingdom of God, for, for Christ's sake, to serve His, his church, His world. Uh, and you need to find what your shape is, and you need to, you need to find a passion, something to do with, your, with who you are, so that you don't wake up at 45 years old and say, I'm the same person I was when I was 25, I'm... Haven't made an impact on this earth. I'm not sure I have of any value. Know your identity and do something with your identity. I guarantee you, God has given you one, and He has something for you to be doing, something to be passionate about. Do it. That's awesome. Yeah, do
0: it. The the last two, we're circling back around to yeah. these. They're these awesome churches, right? Yeah. They they do all this stuff. They have been through all this hard persecution and they stay strong. Yeah. What's the hardest thing you've gone through?
1: Depression. Probably depression. I mentioned to you earlier that I preached four times a Sunday. Remember that? Somewhere in the past here. Somewhere from the tiles up there. (laughs) It was in here somewhere. To here I mentioned four times. Uh, After doing that for five consecutive years, my wife, Lynn, remembers this quite well. One Monday morning, I came into the kitchen and I said, looked at her and said, "I, I cannot do this anymore. No, I can't do it again. I can't go to the church. I can't preach ever again. I'm just, I'm I'm done. Because you're burned out. Totally. Well, fortunately, as a good wife, she said, no, you're not done. Um, Mow the grass. And so I, (laughs) so so, no, she did not say that. She was more, there's more compassion than that. That's her job. That's her job. That's, oh yeah, she does that. Yeah. That's a good Uh, wife. Right. Danielle's got the grass. I slumped into a depression uh, from, from watching people hurt themselves and the, uh, making bad decisions to, was preaching constantly working myself into the literally into the grave. So that was a tough time because I don't know if you've ever been depressed before, but and it was it was what I'd call a circumstantial depression, but it felt just emotional inside me. It was emotional, and, and there's a lot going on. It changed my body chemistry, my serotonin in my brain. I went to a very dear Christian friend who's an excellent psychiatrist, and he said, Yeah. He looked at me and said, Yeah, well, I totally get it. I know exactly what your problem is. And so, over the course of course, over the next three years, we worked on it, and, and it eventually went away. But that was the hardest time in my life yeah. because you got to keep functioning, and you can't tell people. You know, as a Christian, you're not supposed to say, you know, I, I'm depressed. I'm on medication. I say to you, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, tell, tell the body what's really going on. That was the toughest time.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and the second toughest time. You know the second toughest time?
0: Yeah, I do. Was it hiring me?
1: Hiring you? Uh, I get it. No, it's I actually it. coming up. It's firing you. Ah. Firing your. Ah. Right Wait,
0: that's not. That's not clap worthy. You don't. You don't clap for that. <laughs> oh yeah, fire him.
1: <laughs> wrong with you guys. You said they're a vicious group. you were
0: Golly, right. just like that. Yeah. They so uh, get. Go you ahead. up here. Yeah.
1: No, I'm done, man. No, you're not. <laughs> Were you
0: going to say a real second? No, no. You were going to say fire me. Okay, nice. (laughs) Well, you can talk to my wife afterwards, who is the sweetest person ever. And if you can get through her, then (laughs) then yeah. Um, She's why I still have a job here. Because they want to fire me. But it's like, oh, Danielle's incredible. All right, we'll keep (laughs) them. Thanks, babe. No regrets. All right. Uh, Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Um, uh, Give us, end on this note. Give us um, two things. First of all, thank you. Sure. Thank you for tonight. I, sure. I, I'm speaking for myself, but I know I'm speaking for this room. Sure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We, uh, we crave this. We really do. Uh, we, you know, I talk to, talk to these guys, those who didn't clap for me, I talk to, <laughs> clap for my firing. Um, we do. We crave uh, wisdom and truth and, and um, perspective. Uh, we need it. We, sometimes we don't know how to get to it uh, mm-hmm. and, and have access to it, but we really do appreciate this. This is life-giving. Um, so I want to end on a few things one would you tell us what your greatest fear for us is as a, mm-hmm. as a generation as you know, you've seen you know, young adults in the church what's your greatest fear what is your also final encouragement for us uh, to persevere in mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I want you to pray for us at the end but just Absolutely. answer those two questions
1: well my greatest fear for you is he told me he was going to ask me this question I've had a chance to think about it. My, my greatest fear for you would be that you would get so discouraged by the, the world you live in. It's actually been this bad for centuries. Mm. Uh, it just looks worse to you because you're young and you see the geopolitical issues. You see politics. You see the wars and rumors of wars around the world. That you'd look at all of it and say, you know, th- there is no God. This thing is out of control. And I'm on this spinning orb and one of these days, I'm just going to sling off of it, and so you fall into fear and you fall into um, sin because mm-hmm. that's when you start seeking some, some way to charge yourself to make life meaningful. My biggest fear for you is that you would, you'd give up. Mm. Yeah, you'd you'd give up that you can't make a difference that the world's never going to get better, and the, it's just all about you, and uh, and kind of a. a to wrap that in a blanket is that you'd begin to believe what the world says, mm-hmm. which is, come follow me, because I'll tell you, uh, the, it's not going to, the, the, the world's answers really will not, and I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher, I'm saying that because I've, I've watched lies for 37 years, try to do that, and over and over again fail. So really, ultimately, it ha- your life needs to be centered in Christ. So my biggest, my biggest concern for you is that you would lose heart. Mm-hmm in the world in which you live it's not as bad as you think and uh, the Jesus that I love and Ben loves and many of you love he's still very much in control very much in control and you just need to trust that uh, another point of encouragement was you know, sometimes you think that preachers don't doubt I, I you know we doubt uh, sometimes I actually ask myself do I really believe that you know, I just said some things from the Bible. Do I, do I really believe that? Mm-hmm. In fact, one of my favorite passages is in Mark chapter 9, where this man's got a son who's dying. And he comes to Jesus. I believe he was dying. He comes to Jesus. He may have already been dead. And, and he said, oh, he was dying. My son needs help. And Jesus said, uh, yeah, he was dying. Um, what, was he or wasn't he dying? I'm not, you know, I can't remember. What? Well, yeah. But <laughs> I was confused it with other stories. Yeah. Uh, Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And his response is amazing. The man said to him, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's really the Christian life. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we believe it. But as life ebbs and flows, because we're humans and sinful and frail, sometimes we say, do I really believe this? And you, then I just look to Jesus and say, Lord, I, you know I believe it. I definitely do. Help my unbelief, those fringes of my life where I struggle. And he always, always does. So that would be my prayer for you, that you not lose heart, that you remember you can make a difference. You will make a difference if you'll just put your trust in him. Listen to his voice. Don't lose your first love. Mm -hmm. Don't lose your first love. When you lose it, like I've done many times, you come right back to the place that you found him. You come right back and reconnect with him. Along the way, you let people call sin out in your life, and you, let, and you hold them accountable too. Even the small things, hold each other accountable. They'll make you so much richer, and your character will go up, and God's good favor will be on you. Sin takes God's favor away from you. Even though he loves you, it, ta- it takes it away from you. And then the other things we talked about along the way, uh, mm-hmm. from the accountability that I mentioned, and all the way down to, to uh, Sardis there at the very yeah. end, the idea being grown up. Uh, yeah. yeah, Being having, what is your identity? Who are you, by the way? So Don't let the world paint you uh, because it'll paint you uh, and then it'll walk away from you. Hmm. Yeah, but Christ will never walk away from you. That's hey, right. let me pray thank for you. you. Is Please that what you pray, want me to do? Pray, yeah. Pray for us. Thank you for letting me be with you tonight and, and be so back in the Are you guys going to
0: stick around, you and Lynn, for a little
1: bit? Yeah, in the we're going to stick around and have coffee Grab with you. Coffee. Yeah, if, uh, those who can stay. Thank
0: me. you guys so much. And we just thank you guys for, uh, for being a part of this ministry uh, we really appreciate it, and I hope this has been a blessing for you guys. But also, join us. You know, j- let, be a part of our fellowship, our community, and uh, join us. Be a, be a part of this thing. Show up on Sunday, and, and, or get involved, or get a Connect card. Uh, we want to we know you. We want to walk with you more than just uh, sitting out there. So we yeah. love you guys. Please I bless us. Pray for us. I'd
1: love to. Holy Father, you know every individual in this room, every man, every woman. You know their needs tonight, and uh, nothing is more important uh, than that they know you. So uh, my request this evening is that sometime tomorrow your spirit would speak to them. You'd cause them to throw their head back and laugh out loud and smile and be reminded that your good favor is on them, that you do have an identity for them. You've called them to do something in this world, to have a passion, to make a difference. Uh, give them your good favor. Thank you for this ministry, Lord, for renovating all the leadership from my dear brother Ben. Thank you for, as we just all the things that he really does do and all the love he has for everyone in this room. Honor yourself, Lord, as we worship you one final time this evening in Christ's name. Amen.